Bible Biogs in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, one character at a time. Author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont is in conversation with David Taverner. In this episode, we're focusing on Caleb, one of the 12 spies sent out by Moses to explore Canaan. But I think we ought to just be reminded of, of, of the context. What's going on here, Mike? Well, let's pick up the story. The Israelites have been freed from slavery in Egypt under the leadership of Moses. After those great miracles that they'd seen, they crossed the Red Sea. They'd headed south to Mount Sinai, where God had given them law, sacrifice, the tabernacle through his servant Moses. And then they'd set off north from Mount Sinai, heading towards Canaan, the promised land that God was going to give them. And as so often in the ancient world, one of the common practices to do, long before they had drones in the sky, was to be able to send spies out to find out what the territory was like. And that's where we first come across Caleb in Numbers chapter 13, where he is one of 12 men that Moses picks to respond to God's call to send men out to go and spy the land. Why? why, why I was going to say, why 12? I got there before you, didn't I? Why 12? Because of the 12 tribes of Israel. And clearly, God had not specified how many. It's interesting to know. But I think here's the, the wisdom of Moses. He, he's wanting one from every tribe so that no one can turn around and say, you favoured them, you didn't send us, they gave a wrong report, we would have done it differently. Sometimes human wisdom is really important in our walk with God and our leadership of God's people. Because this reminds us of what they were potentially going to face. You know, what territory were they going into? Well, they were going into the territory that God had promised to Abraham generations before. But the truth is none of them had been back there to know what was there. All they knew of was reputation. And what they knew was that the land of Canaan was full of the ites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and all those other long list of ites that we get. And what they knew was that these people were not going to lie there and say, oh, you want to come and take over our land? Sure, come in. We'll move somewhere else. So they knew their reputation of these people. They knew they weren't going to lie down and give their land away. So there was going to be struggle, but they also wanted to know what sort of land was this that they were going into. Everything was by reputation so far. So the spies were going to go in both from a military point of view. What are we going to be facing? But also, I think from a hope point of view, what are we going to be gaining? And Caleb was one of the 12 and representing one of these tribes. Yeah, he represented the tribe of Judah. We're not told how they were chosen whether people had a vote, Moses picked them out, there were people known to him, but he's the one chosen to represent the tribe of Judah, one of the leading tribes as it would become in Israel's history. And he, along with the other 11, get on their way to head north to see what this land is going to be like. I'm kind of imagining a James Bond sort of figure. You know, we talk about spies in that sense, but the thing is, <laughs> whereas James Bond operated you know, largely on his own, these are operating together. There's 12 of them going in together. Yes, it makes you wonder sort of how, how did they sort of, you know, disguise themselves as it were. I think they would probably have simply gone in. People used to move a lot in those days. People used to travel, tradesmen and so on. 
Um, so I don't think we have to think of people in dark glasses and large trilby hats. They were going to spy out the land and find out what it was. So, yep, they go as a team, 12 of them. Always good when you're going out to do something, to go with someone else. I've travelled to many countries over the years doing mission. I've always tried to take at least one other person with me in acts when they go out. They often go out in in teams. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. There's strength in not being on your own, especially when you're about to start something new. So having gone in and discovered what they discovered, they then come out and they come back with their reports. They come back with their report and what a report it is. Because they find that it's an incredible land, just as God had promised. So as they come back and they gather the leaders and they give their account, and they, first thing they say is, we've been to the land that you, you sent us to, and it does flow with milk and honey. Milk and honey, of course, symbols of rich life in those days. And here's its fruit. And one of the things they'd done was they brought back this huge branch filled with grapes. Interesting that the branch with grapes carried by too many is still one of the symbols you'll often find uh, of Israel mm. today. And some of them come back with pomegranates and figs, but this branch of grapes stood out more than anything. And they said, look, it does flow with milk and honey. Here's some of its fruit. And it's so exciting until the next word, because mm -hmm. the next word in the Bible is a but. <laughs> but the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified. They're very large. We even saw some of the descendants of Anak there. These were supposed to be giant people, large people. So, yes, it's great. It's so exciting. It's exactly what God said. But the two sides to the coin. How often do we do that ourselves today? God has said, but there's some huge problems. And their hearts begin to sink that although they would love to have this, maybe it's not going to be possible. Is that Caleb's reaction as well? Not at all. As we read this story in Numbers 13, we, we read that Caleb silenced the people. I love that. I wonder how he did that. Shush, 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 he says to them. And he says, come on, we should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. I love that. What faith they're from, this guy. We can certainly do it. But he's met with a whole bunch of people who are saying, no, I don't think we can. And the other spies are sort of saying, I don't think we can do it. And as we get into chapter 14, we find that that whole night, that, you know, the people are starting to grumble and moan, to weep. And they even start saying, well, do you know what? I think it would have been better if we died in Egypt. It's funny how God's people have such short memories, isn't it? Why did God bring us here? Why did God rescue us only now for us to die? Do you know what we need to do? We need to choose another leader and go back to Egypt. What short memories. They just left Egypt probably a couple of years earlier. and They'd been slaves, but now, faced with this report, they want to go back, and there's only two people who stand up against them. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, the two guys 
who stand against everyone and who together say to people, come on, the land we've passed through is good. And if God's pleased with us, we'll do it. Their protection is gone. God is with us. But despite that, people still talk about stoning them. My goodness. And I mean, again, you know, it's easy for us to read this, but put yourself in that situation where there's a mass crowd. There's only two of you speaking like that. Everyone's talking about stoning you. And God eventually has had enough. He said, I've had enough of these people. Let's just get rid of them because we aren't getting anywhere. And it's only because Moses intercedes for them that they are spared. But God says, you know what? Because you lot have been so faithless, you aren't going to enter this promised land. Every single one of you who's come out of Egypt, 20 years old and older. In other words, the adults among them, those who are able to take responsibility. Those of you who've grumbled and moaned and said you want to go back, not one of you is going to enter the promised land, except, yeah, Caleb and Joshua, the two who brought the faithful report. They would be the only ones who would enter the promised land. And that's two out of roughly how many? Well, we aren't sure, is the honest truth. But some scholars have estimated there could have been a couple of million people who came out of Egypt, something a little lower. But whichever it is, you're still looking at, they were hugely outnumbered. And yet they stood their ground. They stood on both what they had seen and what God had said. And sometimes what we see and what God says don't always align at first. So what they'd seen, good fruit, but the truth is there were going to be problems. There were, as it were, giants in the land, people they would have to overcome. But God had said, I'm going to take you there. And the essence of faith is taking what God has said to us and what we've seen and speaking to what we see out of what God has said until what we see becomes what God has said. And only these two guys did that. So it wasn't just youthful naivety. There was a, a deep trust in God. I think there was. This is far more than youthful naivety. Uh, clearly, they were youngish men at this time. This, this is passionate belief that God made a promise. And remember, this was a promise that went back generations that are already proved itself, a promise to Abraham, repeated to Isaac, repeated to Jacob, repeated to his 12 sons. And yes, they'd ended up in Egypt as a way of escaping the famine in the land. Yes, they'd spent a long time there, but God had spoken and then God had reignited that promise through Moses and in calling the people out. So no, this is just not youthful naivety and you know for those of us who are getting a little older sometimes it's easy to look at the young people in the church and think yeah you'll learn a bit as you get a bit older but you know sometimes life has knocked stuff out of us in a way that it hasn't out of them and we can learn a lot from them and here are these two young people saying yes what we see is tough but God has spoken and we're going to believe what God has spoken over what we see with our eyes. It strikes me that this is really, really powerful. I'd like to know what it is. You know, I'd like to bottle it. You know, what is it that they've got that 
against <laughs> all the odds and against all the voices around them, you know, millions of others, they are so determined to stick to their guns. If you and I knew that, we could probably sell it, couldn't we? <laughs> and have a very comfortable retirement. What is it that they've got? It, it, what they've got is what so many in the Bible have. It comes down to choice. At the beginning of this whole series in our first episode, we spoke about Adam and the choice that he was given. A choice to do what God says or to do what you think is sensible, reasonable, rational. He made the wrong choice. But again and again, we find people who make the right choice of saying, I am going to believe God over what I see with my eyes. Now, that's not naivety. It would be easy to dismiss it. But it is simply about believing who God is, taking what he has said, what we see with our eyes, facing up to both of them. You know, faith is not about pretending that what's real isn't real. It's not about saying, I'm healed when I'm not healed. It's about saying, I'm sick, but God has spoken to me. And speaking what God has set to us into the reality of the situation until we see that change. And that's exactly what Joshua and Caleb did. I don't think they were naive. I mean, these guys had actually been there, hadn't they? They'd been into Canaan. They'd seen how good it was, but they'd seen the fortified cities. They'd seen what they were going to have to overcome. So this is not wishful thinking. This is reality, but meeting reality with an absolute conviction that if God promises something, God is going to do it. And I'm going to stand by that and pray into that until I see what God has said, overcoming what is there before my eyes. In fact, I had an experience of that myself just recently. My youngest daughter who lives in the USA at 33 years old was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer, and all the signs looked really, really bad. But I felt that God speak to me in a particular way about praying into this. And never once did I say, she's not got cancer, hallelujah. I said, she has got cancer, but God says. And one by one, attacking each thing as it came, until eventually we saw God bring complete healing. It wasn't by burying our head in the sand, it was by facing reality. But seeking God, hearing what God was saying and praying that into the situation, that's the sort of guy that Caleb was. The word determination springs to mind. As we hear more about, you know, what happened later in life for, for Caleb, was that determination to believe still there, still strong? It's still very much there in his later life. This point in the story is two or three years into the 40-year period in the wilderness. They've now got about 38 years of wandering around the wilderness. And then, under Joshua's leadership, crossing the River Jordan, starting to take some of those cities. So here's a guy who's now clearly um, much older. But as we read on in the story and as we get to the book of Joshua where we we find him recurring again we find this guy is still as full of faith in his old age as he was as a young man this is not something that wears off old folk out there 
don't settle for retirement. Older age is as much a time for being passionate for God as younger age. But as we get to Joshua 14, we find that, that Caleb comes to Joshua and says, you know what Moses, the man of God, said to me? I was 40 years old when Moses sent me. Oh, there's a little time scale, isn't he? Mm. So he's now 40 when he was sent to explore the land. And he said, I came back and I gave him a report according to my convictions, but the others didn't and recounts the story. And then he says to Joshua, now then, just as the Lord promised, there's that going back to what God said again, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years. Hello, we've got another time scale. Hmm. He's now 85 years old. And he says, God's kept me alive. Here I am, still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out, still as vigorous to go out to battle. He was clearly doing his exercises every morning, wasn't he? <laughs> and then here's his request to Joshua. Now, give me the hill country that the Lord promised me that day. He's going back saying, God promised me. Hill country. Think about hill country. Hill country was difficult to take. Mm. Now, this was not easy. This is not him asking, it'd be nice if I could have a little plot somewhere on the plain that I could just walk into. This is territory around Hebron in the south where oh. it hasn't yet been taken. It is a fortified city. And here's this 85-year-old man saying, but God said to me, this would be my inheritance. So he's not asking for an easy life. He's not asking for an easy life. He refuses to put his slippers on. He refuses to go into retirement. And for any of our older listeners today, I want to say to you, don't go into retirement. Sure, as we get a bit older, sometimes we have to ease up a bit. Sometimes we have to rightly step back and let some of the younger generation take some of the key places. But for goodness sake, don't go into retirement. Don't write yourself off. This 85-year-old guy says, I want what God promised me. And at the end of Joshua 14, we find him being blessed by Joshua to go and do it. And he leads his people and he goes and takes Hebron, this fortified city, and he gets what God had promised him. Here's this pulling together again, what God promised, the reality. God had promised him this area, but it looked like you couldn't take it. But he spoke in faith, acted, refused to lie down, and took what God had promised to him. I seem to remember reading in Numbers, I think, that there's a, a, a reference to something that was indeed different about him, a different spirit, I think it uh, maybe refers to. Is that right? Yes, that is interesting, isn't it? But Caleb, my servant, has a different spirit, the text says. I wonder what it meant by that. Well, we're not told again. But I think perhaps we can imagine it's in the context of People who are not trusting God, people who so easily fall into grumbling and, and disbelief. But here was a man, not who was perfect by any means, but who had a different spirit. Here is God underlining the importance of our believing what he'd said and that being characteristic of our spirit, that we're going to trust what God said. And OK, maybe things don't look easy at the moment. 
frankly, maybe things look impossible. Hebron looked like an impossible city to take. But this guy had a, a different spirit. And how do we get that? Well, I think the most fundamental thing about a different spirit is a softness to God. You know, we, we can tell ourselves again and again, God has promised, God has promised, God. But it's just words. Unless there is a softness of heart within our lives that, that opens up and says, God, I can't do this. But I believe you can. I believe you are an incredible God. I believe you are who you say you are. You do what you want. God, I can't do this, but you can. And I suspect that's where the heart of his different spirit came from. That softness to God that got highlighted in these situations where people so quickly got into grumbling and disbelief. He was a man with a soft heart who was determined to believe what God said and determined to enter into that. Because you can be clearly surrounded by others who are complaining, who've got their negativity. And I guess you can have a can-do attitude, but maybe even that isn't always enough. Yes, and, and you know, I think all of us know how easy it is to fall into negativity when it's around us. You know, if we're in a workplace where everyone is always moaning and groaning about our boss or about work practices, it's really, really difficult, as many listeners will recognise, to to stand out and to be different. And and sometimes that just sort of stealing yourself to say, I will be different, just doesn't work because the next time a wave of negativity comes, it takes you over again. That's why it's so important to be a man like Caleb, the man with a, a different spirit, this sensitivity to God. And where does sensitivity to God comes from? It, it, it does come from spending time with God does come from getting on our own, talking to him, opening up our heart, sharing our fears, our concerns, our worries, as well as thanking him for his requests. For us, reading his word, you know, reading his word is still one of the best ways day by day to cultivate a different spirit, to cultivate an openness to, to God and what he wants to do, to feed our hearts with what God is like. The reason I love reading my Bible every day is because day by day I get to see more of what God is like, more of what God is doing, and more of his invitation to me to come and be part of that. And I think it's as we do things like this and cultivate that different spirit that it becomes easier to stand against the negativity that so easily gathers around us. I guess we also fall into the trap of me, myself, I, thinking about ourselves all the time, but I'm just conscious that in Caleb's case, his own example would have strengthened the faith of those around him. Yes, absolutely. And sure, initially, that generation that was in the desert were going to die out. Interesting that it was all those 20 and over young people spared. Yeah, obviously the younger ones, the very younger ones, because they bore no responsibility. But the 17, 18, 19-year-olds, they knew it's as if God is saying, for what I need to do, I need a new generation. I, I need young people who will go with passion and conviction and energy. And yet the older generation is not written off. 85 years old, remember, mm. by the time he takes Hepon. Mm. And so there he is with this sort of 
new generation and clearly his passion and energy and that of Joshua, whom we've looked at in another episode, must have spilt over into the people because what they were faced with was incredible. Remember, this is a bunch of people who were former slaves. They will have spent 40 years as nomads in the desert. And now they're going to have to believe God to have crossed that River Jordan with that great miracle and now to become soldiers, now to become fighters. So there's a change of function that's going to be needed here. And I think people like Joshua and Caleb, the only two of those who survived from those spies, these were men who must have had an ability to inculcate a, a faith atmosphere in others. One of the things I love in older people who are still passionate for Jesus is the way that they can still burn bright. Just last week, one of the older ladies in my own church uh, died after losing a battle with cancer. But everyone who went to see her said, even to the end, she was so full of radiance and talking about Jesus and passion. And you know, we might be 85 like Caleb or any other age, but we still carry something as older people that we can give to a younger generation. They may have the energy, they may have the stamina to get on and do things that sometimes we can't do. But what we can give to them is what Caleb did, a whole host of encouragement and support. We can be on the sidelines saying, yeah, come on, we can do this. And like that old lady in my own church, still carry the presence of Jesus to the very end with a sense of faith and conviction that God is here and with him, we are going to do it together. Older generation and younger generation working together. How does the story of Caleb end? Well, as we get to chapter 15, we find that the territory of Israel is allotted for the different tribes of Judah. And guess what? Caleb gets exactly what he had longed for. In verse 13 of, of Joshua chapter 15, we read that in accordance with the Lord's command, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion in Judah. Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. He got, he was given what he had longed for. So the story ends up with Caleb getting his inheritance, getting what he'd longed for, getting what he'd pursued in God, getting that promise that God had given. And there he settles with his family. He drives out some of the ites, we're told, in that chapter. And he settles and there he ends a good life in the place that God had listed to him. By the way, he had a very bold daughter. In chapter 15, we find about one of his bold daughters and in Chronicles, we find some of his sons listed. So he had kids and he, he had kids who seemed to be passionate for God also. He clearly passed that down his family line. So as you've looked back on his life, maybe not one of the most prominent characters in the Bible story, but even so significant, what, what sticks out? Yeah, what I love first is that we can learn so much from those who aren't prominent characters in the Bible. There's always so many things to learn. 
I think what stands out for me from Caleb is never give in, never give up. If God has spoken to you and God has promised something, then the reality may look different, but keep hold of what God has promised and keep speaking with faith and doing whatever you need to do, addressing that reality until it becomes what God has promised. So Caleb is a great example of a guy who won't give in, who won't give up, who stuck it out to the bitter end. And for our older listeners, an encouragement to think, guys, the years may be passing, but we can still keep hold of what God has said to us, uh, keep working for those promises, keep fighting for it, never giving in, never giving up. And Caleb at the age of 85, God is inheritance. There's an encouragement there, I think, that if we will be like Caleb, a man with a different spirit, a man who said, yeah, there are giants in the land, but God. The others that said, there are good things in the land, but there are giants. Caleb had looked at the land and said, this is a fantastic land. And yes, there are giants, but God. So I think for me, Caleb is a man who says, always put a but God into your life. Don't pretend reality isn't what it is, but bring your but God to it. And like Caleb, see the incredible transformation and God bringing to pass exactly what he said he would do. David Tavener was in conversation with Mike Beaumont, who's written about the people of the Bible throughout the Christian Basics Bible. Catch their conversations anytime on the UCB player or with your favorite podcast provider. Just search for Bible Biogs in 30 minutes.